Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, I'd like to welcome Cameron Brain to the Hey Salespeople podcast. Cameron is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Everyone Social. Welcome, Cameron. Thank you, Jeremy. Just to give folks a little bit of background on Everyone Social, I stumbled across them because one of our mutual customers was raving to me over lunch about their incredible things that they do to drive adoption, engagement, and retention inside of their company. So we'll talk a little bit about that. That'll be our main theme for the day. If you're not familiar with Everyone Social, they are a social media platform that helps employees use social media on the job. I'd love to understand a little bit more about what that means, I guess, particularly in the context of salespeople. I know that sales, marketing, communications, talent acquisition, they can all use Everyone Social. But Cameron, can you give us a little bit of background on how salespeople would use Everyone Social? Yeah, happy to. And the basic idea is that everyone in the company, from the interns all the way up to the CEO, have social networks. The social networks contain a lot of potential value for not only those people in their jobs and what they do, but for the company. So as you said, we work with a lot of different departments and people in different roles. Sales is a very exciting one. It was actually a place that our customers took us. We we didn't come up with the idea ourselves. A salesperson wants every advantage they can to you know connect, to prospect, to engage, to develop a relationship, especially in a B2B context where you know there are a lot of people involved with a sales cycle and sales cycles can be longer and dollar amounts can be larger. So for us, we've just felt like social media is a tool set that salespeople should be enabled with, you know, to find people to connect. We like to kind of say that uh, everyone who wants to buy your product or may, you know, want to buy your product in the future is on social media. And it's just, there's so many opportunities to uh, connect and engage. So that's how we work with sales teams. Our clients take it a whole lot deeper than that to understand how the uh, actions of their people drive things like pipeline, win rate, and deal size. As our listeners know, I always start off with two questions. Helps me get to know you a little better. Helps the listeners get to know you a little better. So the first question I'd love to start with is, uh, what's your favorite sales or leadership book of all time and why? So Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's right-hand man, has been for basically the entirety of the Berkshire Hathaway existence. He didn't write this book, but it's a compilation of lectures and writings and things. Poor Charlie's on the neck, I think. It's probably less to do with selling, more to do with leadership, but I just absolutely loved it. Being a CEO of a fast-growing company yourself, whether it's from Poor Richard's Almanac or from somewhere else, are there leadership principles that are near and dear to your heart? Yeah, I think, you know, especially as it relates to sales, we've taken a little bit different path with respect to our company. So as I said, we've been in the market with the Everyone Social product for six years. This company is actually, I think, a little bit over 10 years old from when we originally founded it. We did some different things in the early years and kind of ultimately pivoted our way to focusing on what our business is today, Everyone Social. We're self-funded. We haven't taken you know any significant uh, venture capital or anything like that. And my co-founder is uh, also an entrepreneur. So we just kind of decided that we believe in this. We want to focus on this for the long term, not Taking a bunch of outside capital allows us to you know, focus more on the needs of our customers, I think, instead of a uh, return expectation or timeline of, of investors. So that's obviously one of the main points of Charlie's book is like, 
not being overly transactional, focusing on the long term, on building real value. And that's really how wealth is created. And that's how true competitive advantages are made as well. So I guess in that respect, that's how we kind of embodied some of the principles in that book. What's the first thing you ever remember selling? Probably like a lemonade or something like that. Um, the first little business I ever started was a uh, actually a comic book shop in the top of my parents' garage when I was growing up and had enlisted some friends to help market it and do a bunch of things. But that was probably the first thing we made any actual amount of money at. Did you read comics? Were you a fan of comics or you just recognized it as something that other people liked and were interested in? I read some comics, but... I think I was just more interested in the money, <laughs> you know, the fact that you could get people to come and give you money for, you know, things that you maybe paid less money for to begin with. So let's transition into talking about enterprise selling in general, because I know you've been successful with a number of large enterprises. For you, I mean, you've, you've obviously been the founder of a number of companies and been a senior executive in others. How do you think about enterprise selling as distinct from more transactional or commercial mid-market selling? With a previous company, we were much more kind of SMB focused, kind of a combination of, you know, SMB sales and self-serve and, you know, learned a lot of lessons through that in terms of, I think it, it being just a totally different discipline. The attractiveness to it, at least for us, has always been that you seemingly have a little bit more control. Sales cycles might be a lot longer, but, you know, at the same time, there are people who you can identify that you can prospect and there are ways that you can reach out to them. And perhaps the length of the sales cycle is in some respects also kind of an advantage, an accepted thing that people in certain roles in larger organizations, you know, are going to be prospected and pitched. You know, thankfully, at least for the most part, they're, they're open to that. There are things that at least we think are changing within the enterprise sales world. Our market is is somewhat interesting in that I would say the majority of people who we sell to are women and they're also younger. That's not to say 90 plus percent, but a, but a significant percentage of the people that we engage with are, I would say, under the age of 40 and female. So that's been kind of an interesting aspect for us. I think, you know, as mentioned at the outset, we just have kind of taken the the view that, you know, we believe in this thing, it's probably going to take, you know, a bit longer to kind of come to fruition. But I think that's been something that has been a boon for us uh, when it comes to sales is, you know, just focusing on the relationship, focusing on building trust. It's amazing how things will turn around, you know, even if they don't kind of end up in your favor to begin with. But as my co-founder likes to say, you know, everyone remembers you by your last interaction. So, our goal is to be the center of knowledge within our particular market. And even if someone decides to ultimately purchase a competitor product, we want to help them go into that with their eyes wide open to you know, hopefully continue to educate them even through that process, even through that use of a competitor solution and be it 12 or 24, or 36 months down the line, you know, at least have the door open for another opportunity. I think to your point, one of the core things that I think is really going to determine kind of winners and losers, you know, over the next five to 10 years is beyond the sales process in the B2B SaaS world, the value that any buyer gets out of any product really does come down to user engagement and retention. In very, very few cases, is it anyone's actual job to use a product and how much they use it really ultimately determines how much value, you know, the business gets out of it. What was your strategy for coming up with how you were going to serve your customers? 
When we started six years ago, we were very, very small. And I sold our first three accounts, Dell Citrix and SAP, all still clients today, and then turned around and basically functioned as their client success rep as we started to kind of get them onto the platform. And had some experience kind of in both categories from, from previous ventures, but there really weren't any kind of already laid blueprints or, you know, kind of best practices or keys to success. So <laughs> our approach from the very beginning was we're just going to be there as much as our customer needs us. You know, we're not going to put any limitations on from a client success standpoint. So I think what we like to kind of think about is a qualitative, you know, involvement really at the client level. We kind of made some decisions early on that we weren't quite sure if they would pan out, but uh, whatever the client needed, however many times we needed to be on the phone, however many conversations we needed to have, we also don't charge for any of that. For one, we're a software company. We don't want to have kind of multiple lines of business. Uh, you know, we really want to focus on the product. And even though client success in that respect is a cost center, I think it helps people kind of get their minds around like, oh, I can truly use this thing and I'm going to get the same level of service as, you know, any one of their other clients. And that remains to be the case today. So, you know, anyone who signs up today with even a small number of licenses is going to get the same level of treatment as, you know, our oldest clients who may have, you know, tens of thousands of users on the platform. So we think of that as kind of like the qualitative side of account level uh, retention and engagement. But like many B2B SaaS products, after the product is bought, it's ultimately used by people at the company employees. It's not a management tool. And, you know, in our case, it may be 10,000 sales reps or, you know, potentially in some cases, even everyone at the company. And really, no matter what we do at the client success level, no matter how responsive and active we are, how we retain an account, how that account grows is largely a function of, you know, how often and how much their people are actually in our platform using it. And I think of the two, um, this is the far more kind of like challenging aspect of, you know, achieving high levels of overall retention and engagement is, you know, ultimately having a product that people want to use. I'm not going to say we came out of the gate and, you know, knocked this thing out of the park. It's been a journey over the last six years, I think. One of the things for us that we just made kind of a first principle for our business was that, A, we wanted to be product focused and B, we really always wanted to think of the end user as our top priority. And we tell this to everyone that we work with. It's like, you know, hey, we're meeting with a buyer. We know you think this platform is going to be great. It's going to do all these things and we will be here to help you make that happen. But you know, make no mistake that how much your people are actually in the platform is ultimately going to dictate you know, the results that you get from it. So you know, how we position it and how we develop our product is very much focused on the end user. And we really encourage our customers, you know, when they're rolling the product out, when they're positioning it to their people, when they're, you know, hosting trainings, oftentimes we're involved in that, that, you know, they also really embrace, you know, that reality that this isn't like a bait and switch of them trying to kind of provide a tool just to kind of instruct their people to perform some certain action that, you know, this has real value for their people. It's first and foremost about them. And if that's communicated successfully and the people actually use it, that, you know, their program's going to be a runaway success. So two sides of the same coin, you know, client success, again, just kind of like being a true partner to them, doing everything we possibly can to make it successful, largely at the account level. And then, you know, really kind of devoting time and resources to prioritizing the experience for the end user. There's a ton I want to unpack in that, but I'd love to start that 
by just asking you for a concrete example of how a, a user would use everyone social. The premise of our product, what we do is it's social media tools for employees. And so you can kind of think about it as like a professional newsreader, right? So as an employee, you access our product either through the web or through our native app. And when you log in, you're presented with a stream of content and that content's going to be about your company and about, you know, your role. And if you're a salesperson, you know, potentially prospects, competitor news, marketing intelligence, field marketing materials, even one of the things that we wanted to do, I think before we even onboarded our first client was we felt like ultimately this employee has a social network. Our product is really about unlocking the value of that social network. But it can't just be about unlocking the value for the company. It has to have value for the person because it is their network. And you know, if they leave that company, they take that with it. The company doesn't have any overarching permission or ownership over that employee's network. And so for us, you know, just kind of going back to the content that is shown to that person, we wanted to give the employee uh, some ability to personalize their own experience. So in addition to simply being kind of pushed content, from the program managers at their company, we wanted them to be able to put in, you know, their own sources. Again, that's why I kind of use the newsreader analogy. So that could be anything from, we were on a call yesterday with a member of a team we work with who was asking a question about, oh, can I include like an MIT technology review blog as a source in my account? We said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, on the sales side, that can even include totally personal stuff like, Things specific to your geo, things specific to, you know, again, truly personal interests, you know, sports teams, whatever else that you might want to bring in it. In a sales context, it serves kind of a dual function. The more the experience is personal, the more likely you are to come back. If you know that every time I come into everyone's social, I'm not only going to get company announcements, but it's also the place I'm going to basically get my news, professional and personal, that creates a big draw. The other thing is that I think. Fortunately, um, for teams that believe in the value and the power of social media as it relates to sales, you know, they also know that seemingly kind of purely personal content, something about a sports team that I follow in, you know, in my home state or, you know, perhaps news about my university, that can actually be very helpful in, you know, developing relationships and engaging with prospects. And one of the things we found over the years with our clients that have gone really deep on trying to understand the results of their sales team, you know, vis-a-vis -vis their usage of social media is that it doesn't matter what the engagement or interaction was. So if you're trying to prospect someone on LinkedIn or any other network, the key is developing the connection or generating an engagement. If that happens around a video that you posted of your kids, like T-ball game or a post about where you went to school because, you know, the prospect you're working with also went to that school, that is equally as beneficial as, you know, posting a piece of information about your company or a new product announcement that that prospect may engage with. And frankly, I'd wager that, you know, the people out there that you're trying to sell to are probably far more likely to engage with something that is more personal than, hey, my company just launched a new version of our product or whatever else. How do you actually figure out who to engage and how do you go about that? So many times tools are sold and you know you only find out at renewal time, right, that the customer was unhappy due to a lack of adoption and engagement. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. I don't think we're seriously innovating over here. I think we've just kind of recognized that certain things are, are very important to driving retention and engagement. 
One of them is that unlike anyone else in the market, and this would be the same for you guys or you know any other B2B SaaS vendor, is that we have a level of visibility into accounts that no one else has, right? So like we have you know a few hundred clients all using our product a little bit differently, but there's you know there's a lot of common threads and. I spend a fair amount of my time meeting with prospects and customers in person. And one of the most consistent questions we get asked is, you know, tell us what your other clients are doing. You know, like, hey, we're trying to do this with a sales team. We're trying to do this with a recruiting team. What are your other clients doing? Over the years, we've really tried to kind of take that role seriously. It's like, okay, yeah, we can look at all of our clients. We have all of that data. Sometimes it's, again, very kind of qualitative, like, hey, we want you to talk to these clients who've been running these programs, you know, at their companies for a few years or you know, perhaps it's a private client event, but on a more consistent basis, it's quantitative, pulling the data and understanding, all right, if we're, if we're looking at a social selling program, uh, you know, Adobe, and we know what their goals and objectives are, and we know how many users they have and all of that, let's find some appropriate corollaries within our customer base and do some cross comparison. And for the most part, that is the real responsibility of the client success team. You know, it's kind of the human half of it is having the regular checking calls and being responsive, all of that, but also to be always looking towards data and providing those sorts of insights back to our clients that go beyond their view of just their account. Because, you know, really most clients, they don't have a point of reference. I mean, even if they've been doing this for years, you know, they only know what their results have been. That's something that we see as being, you know, it's not only been key to kind of our success today, but looking forward, we're just, you know, doubling down even more on how much data we're tracking, how we're making that accessible to our team, how we're making that accessible to our clients, you know, how we can better answer the questions around, you know, what are our other clients doing and, you know, how to benchmark any given client's program and results as compared to, you know, other similar programs. So those are kind of the two, you know, outside of like just simply having a product that people want to use and, you know, prioritizing the end user. That's, that's really the, the focus from client success is the human side, being there, being responsive, really trying to be a true strategic partner to each of these teams that we work with and, you know, arming everyone with as much data as they can possibly use. So the structure question I'm curious about is this one that is constantly debated in the B2B sales and service world these days of whether or not your CSMs, your client success people should have any commercial responsibility, specifically, should they be responsible for any upselling or renewing? How have you handled that? Yeah, we uh, we made some changes not too long ago. I feel like things change, you know, at every kind of evolutionary stage of a company. I mean, we're still relatively early our view across our company with respect to all our teams is, you know, do as much as we possibly can with as few people as possible. We just, we want to, you know, keep our eye towards, you know, hiring great people that can operate on a largely autonomous level. So, you know, that may change as, as we grow from here, but I think, you know, ultimately our view is we really want client success to be the true partner of all of our clients. And so for that reason, they are not responsible for, you know, any kind of economic component. I will say, you know, retention, obviously something that they're measured on. Also growth, without tying that to dollars, you know, we're looking at like user adoption. Generally speaking, every client we have has some, you know, amount of additional runway in terms of the number of additional users that can be on our platform because it does apply to everyone in an organization, even if we're just starting out with sales. So 
They have retention goals. They have user growth goals. They have user engagement goals as well. But upsells, in addition to renewals and anything that new, is exclusively owned by sales. In the spirit of being a true partner, like I don't want them to ever think that you know a suggestion or something that client success may be working with them on has a different aim. I just want the client success objectives to be totally aligned with the objectives of the clients. You know, even things around like user growth and engagement. Yes, there are dollars tied to user growth, but you know, the more active users a client has, the more value they're going to get out of the program. So, you know, that's part of the reason why we kind of have that hard line between the two organizations. How, if at all, do you explain that you guys are better at adoption and engagement than the next person? Well, fortunately, we've got some great examples. We all have these kind of nuggets that we can weave together into, you know, a narrative or a strategy. One of, I think, the most powerful kind of aspects of our story is that over our six years, we've never lost a client to a competitor. And over that same period, we've taken many from competitors. I would say probably nine out of 10 times is because of engagement and adoption. And those clients turned into some of our absolute best clients, you know, because they, they have experience, they know where the potholes are, they know what they're looking for. Um, they're obviously very committed to the program as a whole. That's kind of like what I lay down as the hammer. Trust us, like we're going to make this successful. You know, we've never had anyone move to another platform. We understand what the issues are. What we do not play the game of is, you know, feature comparison or anything related to competitors. Probably anyone in sales, you know, has run up against a question from a prospect that's like, well, we're looking at these other, you know, we're looking at these other solutions. How do you compare with them? We are not experts in our competitors' products. For the most part, we've never even used them. You know, we can go to their website and look at whatever they advertise on there. But of course, the reality is going to be very different. So we like to put that back on the prospect, you know, and say, you're talking with them. You've got access. I mean, we can tell you, you know, let's take it to a little bit higher level and, and you know, talk about what our priorities are. And, and we know over the years, of course, there are some different approaches and priorities in terms of how we focus on our product and, you know, how we focus in particular on client success. Those are kind of our two things of like, we know because clients have moved to us from competitor products that uh, we have significantly higher levels of engagement and retention at the user level. We've heard bad things about client success on, on the part of competitors, but you know, we know what we do, which is, you know, we're going to give you as much as you possibly need to make this success. Like we are committed to your success. That's been our approach over the years. And, you know, it's, it's funny. It never fails to kind of surprise us that like, like we were just in a deal with a big cloud service provider. I think they maybe were originally looking at three or four vendors. Um, it went relatively quickly. It was only like three months. Uh, we were chosen. And one of the others that was not, ended up sending the buyer team, you know, this email with, uh, you know, kind of like, these are all the things that you don't know about everyone social or whatever else. And the buyer team forwarded to us and, you know, the majority of the stuff in there was just total fabrication. And the buyer team knew what the deal was as well. You know, they were like, this is you know, complete BS. And, and they actually emailed back the vendor team, everyone at the vendor. So, you know, trust me that, you know, this, this had to have reached the CEO of this company that, you know, they said, look, this is actually one of the reasons why we didn't buy with you. You know, it violates our corporate principles, which, by the way, you know, are on our website publicly. You know, this is just totally inappropriate. And, and you know, I look at something like that as like, my God, like, how did a salesperson think that that was appropriate? The story you just described plays out all the time, which is 
the customer tells us, and they also say the same thing, which is we bought from you because of the heart and soul, basically, and we know you wouldn't do something like this. It just drives those people more into your arms. Yeah, and I, I love your approach, which is they didn't buy from you now, right? Which is now you have 12, 24, 36 months to nurture them with real value that proves that you are the right partner for them to be helpful in their social media strategy. We all live in the same world, right? Especially with enterprises. Like you may be used by one division and your competitor grabbed another division. It's probably more rare than common that someone jumps in and snags an enterprise deal right off the bat. As you reflect on our conversation and, and stuff we've talked about, what are some of the key takeaways you want to leave the audience with? I think um, focusing on having some aspect of your organization function as a true partner and committing to success, not just simply use of your product, but you know, understanding what the ROI expectations are. You know, even if we charge for client success, the objective would still be the same. You know, that like someone's going to buy a product, you know, success for us is not purely their usage of the product, but them getting the value out of it that they want. Because that's going to lead to, you know, account retention, account growth, all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, within most enterprises, there's lots and lots of headroom for growth, economically speaking. I think the other thing is, obviously, there's many, many B2B SaaS companies, many companies in general trying to sell into enterprises, lots of sales teams, you know, out there knocking down doors and making phone calls and all that kind of stuff. And just as your product or your brand or your client success team you know, has a reputation, so does your sales team. It may not be the number one reason why someone ultimately buys from you, but I think it's a huge contributing factor. I mean, we just have seen that over and over again. And I think it's interesting from your end, you know, we're kind of in our own little micro industry over here and you know, we see some of this kind of bad behavior from some competitors from time to time. And there's probably more that goes on behind the scenes that we're not totally aware of. But you know, to hear from your guys and that, you know, you also see this as like a systematic activity, like that right there is such a major competitive advantage to be snatched to say like, you know, we are going to be the trustworthy party and that, you know, your experience with us, if you buy from us or not, sales is a huge part of that. So those are two things that are top of mind for us for sure. Well, thank you so much again. So again, you've been listening to the Hey Sales People podcast. Our guest today was Cameron Brain. Cameron, thanks so much for being on. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.